The following sermon, entitled Manasseh's Repentance, was preached on the evening of February 6, 2022 at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Tonight we consider a portion of Old Testament history, so let's turn to 2 Chronicles 33. The text which I will not reread is verses 11 through 17. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down, and he reared up altars for Baalim, and made groves, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served them. Also, he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made, in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel will I put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed to your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than all the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore, <clears throat> the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, He was God. Now after this, He built a wall without the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley even to the entering in at the fish gate encompassed about Ophel and raised it up a very great height and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. And He took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord and all the altars that He had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed thereon peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only. Now, the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God and the words of the seers that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. His prayer also, and how God was entreated of him and all his sin and his trespass and the places wherein he built high places and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Behold, they are written among the sayings of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house, and Ammon his son reigned in his stead. Ammon 
was twenty and two years old when he began to reign. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father. For Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh his father had made, and served them, and humbled not himself before the Lord, as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more. And his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. But the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his stead. As announced, the text is verses 11 through 17. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, King Manasseh is a monument. A towering monument of the saving grace of God. Manasseh was one of the kings of Judah. Ignore now the line of the kings of Israel, the ten northern tribes, and think of the line of the kings of Judah extending from Rehoboam, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, the division of the kingdom, Rehoboam, all the way to the very end, Zedekiah. Manasseh reigned during the last third or so of the kings of Judah. He took the throne when he was a 12-year-old boy. And he reigned longer than anyone else in the history of the kingdom. 55 years. He was the grandson of the wicked Ahaz. And he was the son of the God-fearing Hezekiah. 55-year-long reign. And for most of those 55 years, he was the embodiment of evil. There had never sprung from the historical line of the covenant, such a monster of iniquity who had been elevated to such a position of rule and leadership among God's covenant people. Manasseh was the worst of all of the kings. He was worse than all the kings of Israel. He outdid all of the pagan kings in wickedness. He grievously profaned God's covenant. And to belong to the elect remnant during the days of King Manasseh was like trying to hunker down in a 50-some year long hurricane of iniquity. 50 plus years. And where were they to go? This is the promised land. Manasseh was their king. Evil above all others. Unimaginable. And probably no one in Judah ever prayed for Manasseh and his salvation because they were quite sure that he was hopelessly hell-bound. So wicked was Manasseh. But God came. And God took Manasseh and brought him all the way to Babylon and chastened him and brought him to repentance and forgave him and took him all the way back and put him back on the throne for the very end of his life there. And there Manasseh served the Lord his God. Great God of salvation in Jesus Christ. God came and saved Manasseh. So that he stands in the history of the Old Testament as a towering monument of the saving grace of God. But I don't know that we always consider Manasseh to be such a monument. And sometimes there's doubt among God's people whether or not Manasseh was actually saved. And there are a few different reasons for that in the first place. What the Scripture says about the 55-year-long reign of this king is very, very brief. And what the Scripture says of his repentance is briefer still. In fact, the parallel account in 2 Kings 21 doesn't even speak of his repentance. Did he repent? And if he did, why doesn't Scripture say so much more like it does of Saul of Tarsus? Secondly, we know the Bible speaks of false repentance. We read in Scripture that King Ahab humbled himself before God and that Judas Iscariot repented himself. But Scripture also makes very plain that was not true repentance. 
Now, is that the case with Manasseh? And then third, after Scripture covers the reign of Manasseh, it will repeatedly speak of him, but never never speaking of his repentance. It will always refer to him as that man who set Israel on that Judah, on that course of apostasy from which they would never return so that within another half century, God would have to bring the Babylonian captivity. Manasseh repented. God saved King Manasseh. And that's the teaching of this passage of Holy Scripture. Let's consider it tonight taking as our theme Manasseh's repentance. First, the nature of it. Second, the means of it. And third, the fruit of it. Having been taken to Babylon by God, Manasseh repented. Verse 12 and the beginning of verse 13. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. Manasseh repented. And repentance is that saving work of God whereby he comes to the elect sinner and takes him in his heart and turns him. And so turns him that the sinner himself consciously turns in godly sorrow away from his sin and unto God. Manasseh repented. Notice in the text five truths concerning his repentance. Number one, and this is taken more from the context, this repentance of Manasseh was a brand new thing. A brand new thing. You and I as the children of God believers, we repent every day and we live in repentance. Manasseh had never repented before. And therefore, his repentance was not like that of King David, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, after his sin with Bathsheba. David grew up as a believer. He lived all his days repenting before God. And then for a time, after his sin with Bathsheba, he lived in impenitence. He wouldn't repent until God came and turned him. He repented. Manasseh's repentance was not like that. It was a brand new thing. It was more like the great salvation of Saul of Tarsus. Saul lived his whole life as an unbeliever. And then all of a sudden, one day on the way to Damascus, God saved him. Manasseh lived his whole life as an unbeliever. And then all of a sudden, one day in Babylon, God saved him. So that Manasseh's repentance was a brand new thing in his life. Secondly, about the repentance of Manasseh, the text teaches us in verse 12 that he besought the Lord his God. Or literally, he entreated the face of Jehovah his God. And the text really emphasizes this God-word aspect of repentance. God worked now in Manasseh for the very first time saving faith. So that Manasseh now knew Jehovah God and saw Him face to face. Jehovah, the God of covenant salvation. And he encountered Him in a direct and personal and intimate way. And the text says Manasseh entreated Him. An entreaty is a supplication. It's a plea for mercy. So that God had provoked Manasseh to an awareness of his sin. He knew it, but he didn't despair over his sin. He didn't try to cover his sin. He looked up unto God and he entreated Him. He besought Him. He poured out his soul, crying out to God, Lord God, be merciful to me, Manasseh. Third, the text says in verse 12, and humbled himself greatly. The king who had been so highly exalted on the throne of Judah, he was the king on Mount Zion and elevated in pride in his rebellion against God. Now, he humbled himself greatly, full of sorrow and agony and misery. And can't you hear him? Can't you hear him in Babylon crying out in sincere confession of his sin? Lord God, I'm so sorry. All those high places that my father Hezekiah tore down, 
I built them all back up. And all those idols for Baal and Asherah that I made. And those altars. And I worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. I desecrated Thy temple by bringing an idol right before Thy face into the temple. And Lord God, I'm so sorry. I rejected all of the priests and all of the prophets. And I turned in my folly to witches. I did it. And to wizards. And I... Shudder when I think of what I did down in the valley of the sons of Hinnom. They had those massive altars with the flaming fire and they would offer their own sons as a sacrifice to Molech. I, Lord God, am haunted when I think about it. I took my own children and I put them in the fire as a sacrifice to Molech. I did it. Lord God, the faithful prophets who spoke against Me in My wickedness, I had them murdered one after another so that the streets of Jerusalem were running red with blood. And Lord God, I did it. Not mistakenly. Not ignorantly. I hated Thee. And I hated Thy covenant. And I despised the promise of the Messiah. Deliberately and intentionally, I set up all of these idols in my hatred for Thee. Has there ever been, O God? Has there ever been in the holy land of Canaan a man so wicked as I, Manasseh, am wicked before Thee? I don't deserve to be in Babylon. I deserve to be in the fires of Thy wrath. And Lord God, God, I'm sorry. Manasseh humbled himself greatly in his repentance. Fourth, The text continues in verse 12 by telling us that he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. There's the line of the fathers. David, to whom God promised a son to sit on his throne forever. And Solomon, to whom God confirmed that promise with an oath. And then later down the line, his father Hezekiah. The line of the fathers. The line of God's covenant. The line of God's unbreakable promise according to election. The line of God's grace. The fathers. And Manasseh understands that by all of his sin, he was sinning against the covenant line of the fathers. And that aggravates his sin and makes it so desperately wicked as covenantal sin. And yet at the same time, Manasseh understands that that line of the fathers according to election, it's all purged by God in blood. David, he committed adultery. He murdered. God washed him. Solomon took 700 wives and worshipped their idols. God cleansed him. Hezekiah himself was not perfect and sinless before God. God washed him with the sin of the coming Messiah so that now when Manasseh humbles himself greatly before the God of his fathers, he does that in the confidence of faith that as God has been merciful to the fathers, God will be merciful to me. Finally, the text states in verse 13, and prayed unto him, That's his whole act of repentance. And isn't that the case with you and me? That's always the case. It was prayer. He prayed unto God. And that indicates the sincerity of his heart. He's speaking consciously and directly to God. And can't you see him over there in Babylon, probably with his face toward Jerusalem and smiting his breast like the publican in Jesus' parable and then falling down into the dust of Babylon, lying prostrate before God, humbling himself greatly before God, and praying, Lord God, be merciful. He repented exactly as God described that repentance True repentance to Solomon according to Second Chronicles 7, verse 14, when God said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven 
and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Manasseh truly repented. And God heard, and God answered his prayer. Verse 13, And Manasseh prayed unto him, and he, God, was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. God didn't rebuff him and turn him away and say, Manasseh, if there's one rebel on the face of the earth whom I will never receive and forgive, it's you because of everything you've done. God heard him. That's all Manasseh wanted. Lord God, hear my plea and be merciful to me. And God heard him. He was entreated of Manasseh. He received his prayer. He forgave him. He assured him that he had taken now all of his sins and he had cast them into the depths of the sea. Manasseh, I forgive you. And that's amazing that God would forgive Manasseh. Can you imagine the price of God's justice? The price demanded for his sins? What does it cost? to satisfy God's justice for bringing one of your sons down into the valley of the son of Hinnom. You have to pay for the murder of it. And you have to pay for the idolatry of it. And you have to pay for the torture of it. And you have to pay for the familial aspect of that sin. A father doing that to his son. And you have to pay for the covenantal heinousness of it. And what's the price for that sin of verse 7 when Manasseh took a carved image, an idol which he had made, and that refers in the original to Asherah, that whorish goddess of the pagans. Manasseh took that idol and deliberately set it in the house of God right before the face of God to provoke Him because he hated God. And now what, what's the price? The price for that sin. And according to the promise of the covenant, not Manasseh, but the Messiah would come and Messiah would pay for all Manasseh's sins. God would have His own Son go into the fires of His just wrath. And there Jesus paid for every sin of Manasseh. And on the basis of that sacrifice, God forgave Manasseh through the blood of the spotless Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only went into the fire, but was willing to pay for Manasseh's sin. God was entreated of Manasseh. God forgave him. Of course God forgave him. God's the one who came to Manasseh and turned him in genuine repentance and brought Manasseh to himself. God did in His grace. Verse 13 says that God brought him again to Jerusalem into His kingdom. Now what's interesting is in the original Hebrew there, the verb brought him again, that's actually the verb for repentance. So that the Hebrew says, God caused him to turn. That's repentance. If that's what God did to Manasseh physically in the body, He caused him to turn from Babylon back to Jerusalem, how much more is that not true spiritually in the heart that God came to Manasseh and caused Manasseh to turn in godly sorrow away from his sin unto God? Of course God forgave him. God is the God who turned him unto Himself in genuine repentance. Manasseh truly repented before God. Now, what really underscores in this passage of sacred Scripture the sovereign grace of God is the means that God employed the striking means to turn Manasseh in repentance. The means was discipline. God severely Discipline Manasseh by taking him and casting him out of the Holy Land. Verse 11, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria 
which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. The Assyrians, they executed a militaristic raid against Judah. But interestingly, the text only tells us of one captive that they took, Manasseh. Now maybe they took more, but the text only tells us of one, Manasseh. They came to Judah, they took Manasseh, and they brought him to Babylon. Babylon now wasn't yet a world power, but it was under the reign and rule of the Assyrians. Now what the motive of the king of Assyria was in taking Manasseh really doesn't matter because the king of Assyria is a rod. He's an instrument in the hand of Jehovah God to discipline Manasseh. And that's the teaching of the text in verse 11 where we read, wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host. The Lord. God chastened Manasseh, but He didn't merely come and chasten and discipline him in the Holy Land, even cast him off his throne or off the out of the palace or out of the capital city of Jerusalem. God took Manasseh and He cast him all the way out of the Holy Land into Babylon itself. If we were to use the language of the new dispensation, we would say that God came to Manasseh and He excommunicated him. He cast him out of the church into the wicked world through the extreme, severe means of Christian discipline. Now notice three characteristics of that discipline. Number one, it was very humiliating. Verse 11, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. The thorns, literally the hooks. We know that the Assyrians had this practice of coming to their captives and to humiliate them would take big rings, big hooks, and hook them in the nose and then lead them along like an animal. And that's maybe what they did to King Manasseh. At the very least, somehow, they hooked him. And then the text says they put him in fetters. They put him in chains. And they marched him hundreds and hundreds of miles all the way over to Babylon. And then what? A prisoner down in a cellar somewhere? A slave to labor and toil? Humiliation for the one who was the king. Discipline, humiliating, shameful to Manasseh. Secondly, this discipline was agonizing, not merely physically in the body, but especially in the soul. Verse 12, and when he was in affliction, and that word affliction comes from the verb that means to press down hard upon. When he was in affliction, when God came to Manasseh in Babylon and he took his soul and he pressed down hard upon Manasseh's soul. And you want to know that was like, what that was like for Manasseh? We gotta go back to Deuteronomy 28. Because there God warns Israel through Moses, I'm going to bring you into the Holy Land. And if you depart from Me and apostatize and worship idols, I'm going to cast you out of the Holy Land. And this is what you will experience in your soul. Deuteronomy 28, verse 65. And among these nations thou shalt find no ease, neither shall the soul of thy foot have rest, But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. And thou shalt fear day and night. And thou shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were even. And at even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of thy heart wherewith thou shalt fear. And for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. Darkness of soul, terror of soul, hopelessness of soul, despair of soul as God presses down hard upon Manasseh's soul. 
agony. And then third, notice about this discipline, it was very lonely. Manasseh, the only one mentioned in the text, taken all the way to Babylon. No more family and friends and comfort and all the familiarity of his home and palace all by himself in Babylon. And now you take verse 12, and when he was in affliction, and you pack now into that word affliction, all this humiliation and agony and loneliness. God disciplined Manasseh. And that awful discipline that God administered through the Assyrians was a means that God lovingly employed to turn Manasseh. God's purpose was repentance. That's not always God's purpose in discipline. In fact, sometimes God's purpose in discipline is the hardening of the heart of the sinner unto destruction. And that's what God did to grandfather Ahaz. Second Chronicles 28, verse 22. And in the time of his distress, and that's the same word affliction in the text, so God takes the soul of Ahaz and presses down hard upon it. And at the time of his distress, did he trespass yet more against the Lord. But God's purpose for Manasseh was repentance. The problem with Manasseh was his obstinance of heart. He was so hard-hearted. He wouldn't take sin seriously and warning seriously. In fact, that's the context. Verse 10, "...and the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken." But he would not hearken. And so Manasseh was the kind of man to whom you'd want to come with both of your hands and grab him at the shoulders and start shaking him. Manasseh! Don't you see? Don't you see what you are doing against God and His covenant and His people and the heinousness of your sin before God? Manasseh! Manasseh, wake up! But Manasseh wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen. He was so foolish and stubborn. And so God came to shake him through the extreme remedy of discipline for his repentance. God came and took all those fetters and those chains and those Assyrians, which sounds very cruel to us. Very, very cruel. But God did it with all the agony and the humiliation and the suffering God did it. And through that means of discipline in bringing Manasseh to Babylon and there pressing down hard upon his soul to make him despair of life itself, that's when God breathed the Spirit into Manasseh and brought him to genuine repentance. Discipline. And God did it in covenantal love. And that's really what carries through the whole text. Verse 11, Wherefore the Lord... And that runs through the text. That's Jehovah. And the God who reveals Himself in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jehovah. Wherefore the Lord. And then everything that follows. This is God's love. From all eternity, God set His love upon Manasseh in Jesus Christ. And He elected him. And then when Hezekiah was about ready to die, God preserved the life of Hezekiah and He gave him a little baby and Hezekiah and his wife said, we call him Manasseh. And God loved that little baby. And that little baby grew up. And when he was 12 years old, he took the throne and he began to rule in Judah. And God loved him. And for some 50 plus years, Manasseh reigned and was so wicked, he was worse than even the pagan kings. And God loved Manasseh every moment of every day. He loved him. Now, Manasseh didn't know God loved him. The impenitent, unbelieving sinner does not know that God loves him. Only in the way of repentance and forgiveness does Manasseh know that God loves him. 
No one in Israel knew that God loved Manasseh. That love was in God's secret counsel. That love is in the heart of God. But that love was not revealed. Judah didn't know that God loved Manasseh. They did know this. And Manasseh must know this. God is furious. God is so angry with Manasseh every day. And God hates Manasseh's sin. All of his sin. Manasseh didn't know God loved him. But God did. From all eternity, God loved him. And because God loved him, he came to Manasseh in Jesus Christ through the Assyrians and he put on him the fetters of love and he put on him the thorns of love and he marched him in love all the way to Babylon. And then he took Manasseh's soul and with all the tenderness of his fatherly love, he started pressing down hard upon Manasseh's soul so that he despaired of life. And in love, God breathed the Spirit into Manasseh's heart and turned him so that Manasseh fell down before God and humbled himself and cried out, God, be merciful to me. And God forgave him. And God came in love to Manasseh in Babylon and said, Manasseh, I'm your God. Come and together as friends, the friend sovereign and the friend servant, they walked, as it were, all the way back to Jerusalem. And as soon as Manasseh would say, Oh God, I know that I deserve to go to hell for this. Wilt thou send me to hell? God would come again and again and say, Manasseh, I give my son to cover all your sins. You are right with me. And all the way back they went. That's verse 13. And he brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. God brought him back to Jerusalem. He put on him a crown of love and a robe of love. And he set him again there in the palace so that Manasseh ruled at the end of his life. God loved him. God restored him. And now Manasseh lives his life, the rest of his life, in love for God. God loved Manasseh and showed His love by disciplining him and turning him in repentance and forgiving him. And what confirms the sincerity of Manasseh's repentance? The fruit. True repentance always brings forth the unmistakable fruits of an amended Life, the fruits. First, Manasseh defended David's kingdom. That's verse 14. Now, after this, he built a wall without the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entering in at the fish gate, encompassed about Ophel and raised it up a very great height and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. No work is too great for the sinner who's been restored by grace. And now this massive building project with all these servants to be hired and all these resources, and Manasseh starts building this massive wall through all these strategic parts of the city of David a wall. And then out in the defense city, more warlords and more captains. Why? To protect Judah from the enemies who would come seeking their life to kill them. Sure. But especially, this is the wall and the defense of the antithesis to keep out all of the wicked and the Canaanites with all their false doctrine and their philosophies and their worldviews and their attitudes and their lifestyles. Keep it all out. So he built the wall of the antithesis. For David's sake, this is David's kingdom and David's city. And of course, David is but a picture and a type of the Son of David who is Jesus Christ. Manasseh loves the Messiah and now works to defend the kingdom with the walls. The fruit. Secondly, the fruit is that Manasseh cleansed the holy land of the idolatry he had introduced. Verse 15, And he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord 
and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. So deep is Manasseh's love for God that he goes around and all those altars and idols, he cast them out in holy hatred for them. There's this trail of iniquity behind Manasseh. And now he goes back and he sweeps it all clean. Every wrong, every wrong to be righted. All those idols and altars cast away. And that's the fruit of the genuine repentance of Manasseh. Third, he offered sacrifices, verse 16. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, and he sacrificed thereon thereon peace offerings and thank offerings, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Repaired the altars, and then the peace offerings. That's the animal in the fire on the altar in the confidence that this animal is pointing ahead to a better sacrifice in whom I have peace with God. And so Manasseh puts, brings the animal to the altar and probably there again to see the fire. He was horrified and haunted by the memory of how he once brought his own son down into the valley and offered him as a sacrifice to the pagan God. And then no Manasseh, no this animal. It's a picture of my son whom I will send. He's your righteousness before me, the lamb without blemish. On the basis of this sacrifice, Manasseh, you have peace with me. The peace offering. And then the thank offerings. Who was more thankful in Judah than Manasseh? All the thank offerings to God. And then commanding all the people of Judah, serve the God of Israel. Come here, all ye that fear the Lord. Will I with grateful heart record what God has done for me? I cried to Him, way over there in Babylon, in deep distress. And now His wondrous grace I bless, for God has set me free. Judah, serve the Lord God, for He is God. Again, verse 13 concludes, Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, He was God. Not Baal, not Asherah, Jehovah is God. Judah, serve the Lord God. All the fruits of Manasseh's genuine repentance. Manasseh repented. There was fruit in Manasseh, but there was not fruit in Judah. Verse 17, Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places, yet, Unto the Lord their God only. Those wretched high places. Those knolls. Those hills. Like Crafton here. Those hills. And the Canaanites would sneak in and go up top there and set up all their little shrines and their altars and have their priesthood. And they would offer sacrifices to their God And those high places remained. And the people of Israel would go up there not to worship idols, but to worship Jehovah God with the pagans in the high places. No fruit in Judah. And within 55 years, God would come and the whole nation of Judah would be taken and cast away in the Babylonian captivity for their idolatry and apostasy. And here we learn that God is not mocked. And what a man sows, that will he or another and many others reap. There's a reason the Scripture says very little about the repentance of Manasseh. He's a monument of the saving grace of God. And hallelujah, God be praised for saving Manasseh. One man, Manasseh. 
But the Scripture says more about that long reign and all that evil for decade after decade. Manasseh set Judah on a course of apostasy from which they would never return. He was a brand plucked out of the burning and God saved him. But the nation was 50-some years away from their own Babylonian captivity. God is not mocked. Not only Ammon the son, but many who came after walked in the ways of Manasseh before his repentance. No fruit in Judah. Surely one of the greatest displays of God's grace to Manasseh had to be later in his life in preserving Manasseh from despairing as he would look around and see all these consequences that he could not undo. And he would need to be reassured again and again, no Manasseh, I have saved you. Your sins are covered. Do not despair. Fruit in Manasseh, no fruit in Judah. What about you? We can say many, many words about repentance, but at the end of the day, there's only one question. And that is, do you repent? Do you turn in godly sorrow? Turn away from your sins. Repent. You repent of all your sins today. And that's God's Word to me. Repent. Secondly, has God brought you to repentance and forgiven you all your sins? Then live in the joy of your salvation by faith. And don't doubt and despair. And don't keep looking back at all of your sins and saying, God is angry with me and God will judge me and destroy me everlastingly. God save Manasseh. Don't you say God can't love me and God doesn't love me. God save Manasseh. Live in the joy of your salvation by faith. And third, and bring forth the fruits of genuine repentance as they were brought forth in Manasseh. Build the walls of the antithesis personally and here in the church and in your own home and family to keep out all of the influences of the ungodly. The walls. And get rid of all of the idols. And the greatest is yourself and myself as we think too highly of ourselves. Get rid of all of the idols. Sweep clean the path. And then offer sacrifices unto the Lord God peace offerings and thank offerings for Jesus' sake. May God be gracious and bring you and me to repentance and then bring forth all the lovely fruits of repentance. Now in conclusion, remember, Manasseh is a towering monument of the saving grace of God. And do remember that. Do you know one who is in the way Manasseh was in? And one who walks like Manasseh? Remember Manasseh and don't say never. Don't say he will never repent because he is ensnared. He is addicted His heart is hardened. He will never repent. Remember Manasseh. And don't say, we've admonished him and we've prayed to God for him for years. He'll never repent. Have you been admonishing for 50 years? Remember Manasseh.
And don't say, but he's surrounded by a close circle. And all they say to him is, you haven't done anything wrong. And you are faithful before God. How will he ever repent? You don't think Manasseh had his cronies surrounding him? Remember Manasseh. And don't say, he's a king. He's a minister. He'll never repent. Who am I? This little man that sits in the pew. And if I would go before a minister and look him in the eyes and say, you must repent. He'll scoff at me and disdain me and say, you little peon, I'm the teacher, you're the student, I do the talking, you do the listening. Who do you think you are? He'll never repent. Remember Manasseh, the king of Judah. And don't say excommunication, the extreme remedy. That will never work. That's cruelty. And it will only harden and make angry. It might. But don't say never. Remember Manasseh. God saved Manasseh. No one would have expected it. Everyone would have written him off as reprobate. If anyone is reprobate, it's Manasseh. And God came and saved him. You know where Manasseh is right now? We've been thinking a bit about our brother who was just taken to glory last night to heaven. That's where Manasseh is. He's before the Lamb of God. And he's falling down and worshiping the Lamb who saved him with his own blood. He's in glory now. Manasseh. How can you then read about the history of Manasseh and his repentance, very brief though the account may be, and then not walk away and say, King Manasseh is a towering monument of the saving grace of God. And who is so great a God of salvation in Jesus Christ? So powerful and so full of tender compassion and mercy as our God Jehovah Our God saved Manasseh. And our God saved me. Who is a God like unto Him? Amen. Let us pray. Father, bring each one of us tonight to say that I am the chief of sinners. And to marvel at Thy grace to save so great a sinner as I am. May we each say that and marvel at Thy grace which is wider than the ocean, as Thy mercy which is higher than the heavens, and is so great to us beyond what we can ever fathom. Lord God, we thank Thee for the confidence that can be renewed in Thee, the God of salvation tonight. Now dismiss us with Thy blessing and may we go forth and so work by us in Thy Spirit that all of the lovely fruits may come forth and redound to the praise of Thy glorious grace in Jesus Christ who died for us. In His name we pray. Amen.